following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 4th, 2020, on the basis of Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. It's one of those hand gestures that is almost universally understood. So is its counterpart. It's kind of nice to be able to express our approval and our disapproval as simply as that. Thumbs up or thumbs down. In fact, maybe you're aware of the theory that suggests that those simple hand gestures go all the way back to the arenas of ancient Rome, especially if you're familiar with the movie Gladiator. Perhaps you're also aware of the theory that in ancient Rome, the signals were actually reversed, that it was thumbs down that meant the gladiator lived and thumbs up that meant the gladiator died. Either way, these, these simple hand gestures go back a long ways, it seems. Of course, today, I, I don't think we go around making those thumbs up, thumbs down signals quite as much as we used to, at least not physically, I don't think. In fact, if you did, people might look at you a little bit funny, or they might think that you're a little bit out of touch. Instead, these days we express our approval and our disapproval the way we express a lot of things. We do so digitally. If you like something on Facebook, you click the like button, thumbs up. If you don't like it, you maybe click on the angry face or the sad face emoji. On Twitter, things are a little bit more complicated. Twitter has a like button. And yet, disapproval is expressed on Twitter when someone gets ratioed, as they say. When the number of replies, which generally express disapproval, are way higher than the number of retweets and likes. Perhaps YouTube is the platform that makes it the easiest. If you like a video on YouTube, thumbs up. If you don't like it, thumbs down. Well, whether you live in ancient Rome, or in America in 2020, we like to be able to express approval and disapproval in very simple ways. And from a very early age, there are few things that we disapprove of more than when something seems to be unfair. When we are young, we protest when a brother or sister gets a bigger slice of dessert than we do. When we're teenagers, we protest when all of our friends get to have a phone or all of our friends get to go to the party, and we don't. When we're older, we protest when justice seems to be applied unevenly or pandemic restrictions seem to be applied inconsistently. Over time, the matters in question change, but few things arouse our disapproval and even our anger more than when something appears to be unfair. And because that's the case, then it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus got, and Jesus still gets, quite a bit of disapproval for what we're going to hear him say today. We're starting this new worship series that's entitled Unlike, looking at all the different ways in which Jesus' kingdom is so different from any other kingdom that exists. And what we are looking at today is arguably the way in which that is the most true. Namely, that Jesus' kingdom is unfair. And that's not by accident. That's not by oversight. That's actually by design. 
And so as Jesus points out this feature of his kingdom, it shouldn't surprise us one bit that it very often gets a negative reaction. Out of all the things in the Bible that might upset or offend us, this one is right at the top of the list. And so thankfully, as Jesus helps us see that his kingdom is designed and built to be unfair, he doesn't just show us that feature, he actually shows us why that feature is also a good thing. As we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 20 this morning, Jesus is going to help us learn to like what makes his kingdom so unlike any other. This story that Jesus told in today's gospel was actually prompted by a question that the apostle Peter asked. Peter had just pointed out how he and the other 12 disciples were among the first to follow Jesus. And in fact, they had left everything behind to follow Jesus. In other words, they were sort of like Jesus' early investors. They had gotten in on the ground floor, and they had gone all in on Jesus. And so Peter's question was, what are we going to get for this, Jesus? What's the payoff? What's the reward going to be? Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, just about everything else in life is like this. The more you put in, and the earlier you get in, the more you get in return. Business is like that. Politics are like that. Economics and finance and investments are like that. Even relationships and academics are like that. But Jesus' kingdom is not like that. Instead, Jesus says his kingdom is like this. It's like a man who owned a vineyard. And first thing in the morning, right at 6 a.m., he goes out and he hires some day laborers to work in his vineyard. He agrees with them that if they work for the entire day, he will pay them a fair day's wage. And they are glad to agree. In fact, the word that Matthew uses for that agreement is where we get our word symphony. So the owner and these workers were singing in perfect harmony about the arrangement that they had made a full day's work and a fair day's wage. But then this landowner goes out again at 9 o'clock, and then again at noon, and then again at 3, and then again at 5, just one hour before the workday comes to an end. And even at 5, he, he hires and sends more workers into his vineyard. Finally, the workday is done, and it's time for everyone to get paid. And so the landowner calls all the workers together, starting with the ones who were hired right at the very end, right at 5 o'clock, who had just worked one hour and yet he pays them as if they had worked the entire day. Hmm. Seems a bit odd. But maybe that means that the rest of us are going to get a little bit more, the others are thinking. Nope. The landowner pays everyone exactly the same amount, including those who had been hired first, who had worked all day long. It's no wonder they changed their tune. When they made their arrangement early in the morning, they were singing in perfect harmony with the landowner. But now the dissonance of disapproval filled the air. They grumbled against the landowner by saying this. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. I'm pretty sure they didn't have angry face emojis back in Jesus' day, but the owner uses kind of an interesting expression to describe how these workers are looking at him. He says that they are giving him the stink eye. 
for the way that he treated them. For those who had worked all day, it sure seemed as though the way in which this owner was treating them was unfair. This way in which the owner treated those workers is what the Bible calls grace. We often define grace as God's undeserved love for all of mankind. God's love is unconditional, which means that God's love is exactly equal for absolutely everyone. The churchgoer and the bar hopper. The person who sings in the choir on Sunday morning and the person who spews profanity on the job site Monday through Friday. The person who sits on the board of the nonprofit and the person who sits in the AA meeting once a week. The registered Republican, the registered Democrat, the registered sex offender. God's love is exactly equal for all of them. Which sounds all fine and good when we're learning about God's grace in Sunday school. Which sounds all fine and good when we think about God's grace as some abstract idea. In fact, maybe our own voices are hardly ever more symphonic with God's than when we are singing of the sweet, sweet sound of God's amazing grace. But then at some point, the unfairness of God's grace inevitably strikes very close to home. When that person whose life is just a, a complete mess, in fact, so much of a mess that kind of your natural reaction is to just want to stay away. When that person walks through the church doors or when that person moves into the house right next to yours, when that person who has acted so selfishly and caused so much pain in the life of someone else has caused that pain in your life, when it seems completely obvious to you that one position is the right position about who should be president, or when schools should open back up, or whose lives matter and what we should do about it, and then suddenly you meet someone who agrees that one position is the obvious position, only their position is the opposite position. And when you realize that God's love is not affected or impacted by any of those things. That God loves those other people not one fraction of 1% less than he loves you. And in fact, when God wants you to view that person and treat that person just as he treats you, boy, then it sure is easy to change our tune. Thumbs down, Jesus. Dislike disapprove. It sure is easy to think and to see and to feel as though God's unconditional love sure seems unfair. It sure is easy to think that surely we deserve just a little bit more of God's favor than other people do, just like those workers in the story felt. But they did, didn't they? I mean, objectively speaking, didn't they deserve a little bit more pay for working all day long than those who had just been hired at the very end? They sure thought so. And it would be easy for us to think so if we thought that their economy was like our economy. Recently, there has been a lot of growth in what is sometimes called the gig economy. 
In other words, you don't have a, a full-time job where you work for just one person. Instead, you have some sort of skill or product or service that you can offer. And through the miracles of the internet and apps and smartphones, you are connected directly with the customers that you can sell that product or that good to. So for example, if you have a car and you even know how to drive it, you can offer that service through Uber. If you make arts, arts and crafts or clothing, you can sell them on Etsy. If you have a second home that you don't live in full time, you can rent it out to people through Airbnb. And if you're a graphic designer or a web developer, you can offer those services for hire on a website called Fiverr. A person can do pretty well in today's gig economy. That wasn't the case in Jesus' day. It wasn't the case for day laborers in Jesus' day. If you were a day laborer, not only did you not have a full-time job, but there was no social safety net to catch you if you fell. There were no trade unions to protect workers' rights. If you were a day laborer, you were just completely at the mercy of anyone who was looking for work, and you were completely at their mercy to also determine what you were going to be paid. And so for this owner to agree to pay these workers a fair day's wage for a fair day's work wasn't so much an indication of something that they deserved. Instead, it was an indication of what he was like. He was good. He was generous. And not only that, but as you heard throughout the day, he keeps going back out there to hire more and more people. What, do you think he underestimated the amount of work that needed to be done and the number of workers that he needed? I mean, this isn't like when I do a, a home improvement project at my house and I head out to Menards first thing in the morning and I tell myself I'm going to get everything that I need for this project. And inevitably, I end up going back a second, a third, and a fourth time throughout the day. No, he kept going back, not because he needed them. He kept going back because they needed him. And so the only correct assessment of this situation is that all of them had been treated in a way that they didn't deserve. All of them could have just as easily not been hired. All of them could have just as easily been paid far less than what they ended up getting. And so the landowner had treated, not some of them, the landowner had treated all of them unfairly. He had been better and more generous to them than any of them deserved. That's the important lesson about grace that Jesus wants us to learn from this story. You see, it sure is easy to grumble and complain when we do our little calculations and we determine that we deserve just a little bit more of God's love and favor than someone else does. But do we ever think to look in the opposite direction? For every person who exists, whose life, our lives may, may appear at least to put to shame, there are at least as many people whose lives do the very same thing to ours. And so once again, the only correct assessment of the situation is that none of us deserve anything good from God. Not even just a little, not even just a little bit more than someone else. None of us deserve anything. All of us deserve for God to, to stumble upon us in our state and in our hour of need and just look the other way and go zooming right on by. And so for God to do the opposite, 
for God to do what he did, for God to love the whole lot of us, for God to invest in the whole lot of us, and not just a little bit, but by going all in for God to send his own dear son to live and to die in our place, for God to move heaven and earth just so that he could find us through his gospel, for him to call us by name when we were baptized or through the proclamation of the gospel that we heard, for him to make all the time in the world, all the time that we need, for him to listen to us when we pray, for him to speak to us through his word. None of us deserve any of that. All of us receive all of that. God's grace is unfair, not just to some. God's grace is unfair to all. And that unfairness of grace, that important lesson that Jesus wants to teach us, is essential, in fact, when grace needs to strike very close to home. When all of those comparisons that we like to make between ourselves and other people don't work. When all of our efforts to prop ourselves up as good and virtuous people have failed, when those dirty little secrets that we have tried so hard to keep hidden are suddenly out in the open, when the guilt and the shame that we feel are downright crippling, then only grace will work. Then only grace is the answer that we need. I found out something interesting this week. As I mentioned, YouTube is the platform that I think makes it easiest for us to like or dislike something. It's as simple as a thumbs up, thumbs down. What I learned is that the video that has received the most dislikes all time on YouTube is actually a video that might surprise you. It's not some shallow pop song that eventually everyone got sick of listening to. It's not some cheesy homemade cat video or blooper reel. Instead, it is a very polished and very professionally done video that was made by YouTube. It was their 2018 year in review video. And as of Friday, it had received 18,402,414 dislikes. Actually, 415. I added one more just to extend the record a little bit. Obviously, that video that YouTube made didn't resonate very well with the people who use YouTube. And in the very same way, this characteristic of Jesus' kingdom that more than anything else makes it unlike other kingdoms that exist is also the characteristic that is bound to earn Jesus the most dislike. Jesus' kingdom runs on grace. And for people who think that they deserve something from God, that unfairness of grace doesn't resonate very well with them. And yet when we learn this lesson that Jesus teaches, in fact, when it hits us like a ton of bricks, like it is bound to do, then suddenly grace is the sweetest sound in the world. It is beautiful and wonderful and amazing even. It is the one thing, in fact, that can resonate with the deepest needs of our soul. It is the one thing that can calm every fear, the one thing that can ease every doubt and alleviate every single burden. 
which means that grace isn't just something that we give a cheap thumbs up to or click like as we continue to scroll through our feed. No, when we realize what we truly deserve from God, then not only will we, will we like it when we find out that God's kingdom runs on grace, but we will want our lives, our church, our homes, our family, our every relationship and interaction, we will want our whole lives to run on grace too. Amen. Thank you.